The Wealthy Self-Georgia Native, a 20-somethings views on wealth. It isn't just a money thing. Welcome to the 21st edition of The Wealth Letters, a collection of insights from all walks of life on finding true wealth. If you haven't done so, please read or listen to the manifesto linked here before diving into the collection, as it will give a clear vision of the project, the who, what, and why. The following is an open letter written by Jack Raines to his readers at Young Money on September 1st, 2022, where he covers the six types of wealth. Hint, it isn't just a money thing. Who is Jack Raines? This is from Jack's own personal blog about who he is. And quote, I'm a 25-year-old South Georgia native currently living in the heart of New York City while attending Columbia Business School. I'm a writer by trade and also largely by accident, though I imagine that's how a lot of writers get started. And my greatest career aspiration is to not have a job. I played football and studied finance and Spanish at Mercer University. And in my senior year of college, I was accepted to Columbia Business School's MBA program through a deferred enrollment cohort. Basically, I would work two to five years before moving to NYC for business school. Not a bad deal. After graduating from Mercer, I entered the big wide world of corporate finance. And one week after entering the big wide world of corporate finance, COVID-19 introduced me to the small and closed world of working from my apartment in sweatpants for 18 months. Working from home gave me a lot of free time, which was initially used to play an unhealthy amount of, of COD war zone. However, after a few months, I turned my attention to a more fun game, the stock market. I turned $6,000 into approximately $400,000 by flipping SPACs in my Roth IRA. Then I lost 150000 in a day by flipping stocks that used to be SPACs. Then I stopped trading, quit my job, and embarked on an existential crisis-fueled trip around the world from August 2021 to July 2022, and I moved to New York for business school in August 2022, which is where I live now. And I have to say, New York City is the best place in the world to live in your mid-20s. End quote there from Jack. If you want to read Jack's full bio, you can do that, and that's linked here. Now, before reading or listening to Jack's letter, be willing to be vulnerable and open your mind to ideas and suggestions that have proven worthwhile in another's journey. Do not blindly accept any and all advice given, but rather take in the information and distill it down to if and how it can be applied to you and your unique self. Michael Jordan said that he imitated Dr. J. Kobe Bryant said he studied and imitated Jordan but they mixed in their own uniqueness. While not everything will relate directly to one's current situation at the exact moment, there may be some gems that will be worthwhile in time. So now on to Jack's letter here. And again, this letter is fully attributed to Jack and you can read his original letter, which is linked here. Jack's letter is called Six Types of Wealth. Being rich isn't just a money thing. Wealth an abundance of valuable material possessions or resources. Merriam-Webster Dictionary. What comes to mind when you think of wealth? A list of America's 10 richest people? Your neighbor with the bigger house, nicer car, and mountain home in Aspen? The multimillionaire CEO of your company? The professional athlete, musician, or movie star? Sure, all these people are, in a financial sense, wealthy. But money doesn't have a monopoly on wealth. 
Wealth is defined as an abundance of valuable material possessions or resources. But nowhere in this definition is money listed as the singular valuable possession or resource. Which resources you consider valuable is just as important as the abundance of resources themselves. The key is optimizing for the right form of wealth. Money. Money is the simplest, most obvious form of wealth because it can be quantified. How much is your salary? $100,000. How expensive was your house? $500,000. How much was your kid's college tuition? $50,000. How much is your portfolio worth? $250,000. Forbes tracks the world's richest people in real time, so everyone can see just how much money the uber-wealthy have. A hedonic scoreboard for a game that never ends. Because monetary wealth is so visible, it becomes a point of comparison. Money is the only form of wealth that allows you to look at your neighbor and say, I am richer or poorer than him. Subconsciously, money becomes a competition. Like any other competition, we want to beat our peers, make more money, acquire more possessions, indulge in more pleasures, anything to win the game. What gets missed is that beyond a certain point, money is a seductive scoreboard, but a poor measure of wealth. It has diminishing returns. We expect satisfaction from money to look something like this. And Jack has a graph here that shows as income increases, satisfaction should increase. But in reality, it looks more like this. And a graph by Jack shows that satisfaction does increase drastically as income goes up, but then it levels off. Don't believe me? A study linked here by Purdue University determined that happiness derived from additional income flatlines after $105,000. That's not to say you won't be happier with $500,000 than with $105,000, but the extra happiness derived from every additional dollar falls to near zero. You have to really work to move the needle as your income increases past this critical point. If you stop and think about it, it makes sense. Additional dollars have an outsized impact on your lifestyle when your income is lower. It becomes easier to pay rent. You have a safety net. You can afford a vacation or two. However, as your income continues to scale up, you can buy bigger houses, nicer cars, fancier meals, and better clothes, but you can't go anywhere or do anything new. You just spend additional money on more lavish renditions of your current lifestyle. If you can cover your bills, spend money on experiences, and save and invest the rest, you're in a great place. Everything else is extra. There's actually a negative paradox associated with having extravagant amounts of wealth. Quote, some luxuries won't make your life any better, but losing them after having experienced them will certainly make your life worse. Nassim Taleb. The biggest problem with pursuing monetary wealth over everything else is the opportunity cost associated with it. How many hours will it take to scale your income from 250k to 500k? 1 million? 10 million? Will any amount of money ever be enough? What other forms of wealth will you have to sacrifice to get there? Is this really the game that you want to win? Knowledge. Knowledge like money is an accumulated form of wealth. However, unlike money, it is difficult to compare knowledge from person to person. The polyglot, the master chef, and the world-class investor are all rich in knowledge, but their knowledge takes different forms. 
Mispronouncing different Spanish phrases for hours and hours is how you acquire knowledge. Making dozens of disgusting dishes before the recipe clicks is how you acquire knowledge. Sucking at a sport, attempting to scale a business, playing a thousand games of chess, and exchanging stories with others are all activities that help you accumulate more knowledge. You receive knowledge for working to build your own skills and expertise, and you receive money for leveraging these skills and expertise to help others. But knowledge isn't merely a tool used to create wealth, it is wealth in itself. Knowledge shouldn't simply be acquired to help you reach some other goal. Knowledge is a worthy goal in and of itself. Time. If money is the most obvious form of wealth, time is its antithesis, a form of wealth that you can't see. Time doesn't flash expensive possessions and large salaries. Time is so nonchalant that you would hardly notice it at all. If monetary wealth is best displayed through luxury possessions, a wealth of time is best displayed through nothingness. Monetary wealth displays itself on a scoreboard for the world to see, but time is measured on an hourglass that no one, not even you, can view. Monetary wealth climbs higher as we make more money, but time slowly ticks lower and lower. You are the most time rich when you are the most financially poor, but we rarely notice when we have an abundance of time. We only become aware of the value of time when ours is almost gone. Theoretically, money has unlimited upside. Elon Musk, the world's richest man, is worth upwards of 200, 200 billion right now. But one day, someone, maybe Musk, could be worth 500 billion or even 1 trillion. Why not? Time is the inverse. There are hard limits on our time. And unlike our money, which generally increases as we age, our time decreases. You can't buy more of it, and you never know how much time you have left. When wealth is measured in increments of time, the young are richer than anyone else. Sure, having $100 billion would be great, but if you're young, how many of your years would you sacrifice for Bezos' wealth? How about we flip the question around? How much money would Bezos sacrifice to switch places with me, a 25-year-old who will never be a billionaire? Maybe all of it. He's already known that he wants to invest billions in life extension technology. Like oxygen, we ignore time when it's abundant, but we desperately want more as it becomes scarce. If you blow all of your money, you can make more. When your time runs out, it's game over. Opportunity costs are everything. How much is your hourglass worth? The clock is ticking. Health. Health is the cousin to time. Much like time, we rarely think of health while we have it, and when we're young, we tend to have plenty of health. Eat like shit, never work out, it doesn't matter, you're young, you'll bounce back. In college, for example, whether you treat your body like a temple or like a dive bar, you'll probably be alright. But decisions compound. In finance, compound interest is a powerful force. The person who invests an extra $200 per month might not see a difference in their early years, but they'll be hundreds of thousands of dollars richer in 30 years. But compound interest isn't solely reserved for finance. In fact, its most valuable applications is in your health. The person who doesn't take care of their health when they're young might not notice any effects early on, but a laissez-faire approach to one's well-being is catastrophic as you grow older. What you ingest begins to matter more. Whether you exercise begins to matter more. As you grow older, your looks fade, your metabolism slows, and your potential health problems grow more severe. 
At this point, the decisions that you have made regarding your health begin to snowball. Much like time, we rarely think of health while we have it, but once you lose it, it is the only thing that you can think about. Confucius put it best when he said, a healthy man wants a thousand things, a sick man only wants one. And that sick man really finds his wish granted. Health's greatest value is the optionality it gives you. When you are healthy and broke, you have a world of options. If you are bedridden and rich, what's the point? What good is a billion dollars if you are incapable of enjoying it? Relationships. Every other form of wealth is irrelevant if you have a scarcity of relationships. What good is that money if you have no one to share it with? Sure, you can go further and further down the path of singular materialistic pleasures, but it won't bring fulfillment. Time and good health are only as valuable as your capacity to spend them with those you care about. Otherwise, you're wasting your open calendar and able body on frivolous distractions. A wealth of knowledge is all right and good, but knowledge is best used when it's shared with others. The only difference between a master and a hermit is the presence of students. We are social creatures, and relationships are critical for the soul. We need others with whom we can laugh and cry, exchange dreams, stories, and fears, fall in and out of love, forge new memories, drive a U-Haul a thousand miles across the east coast of the U.S. Every little thing we do comes back to relationships. A life that is rich in all other regards but deficient in relationships is hollow at best and depressing at worst. What's the point of having the world if you have no one to share it with? Do you really want to be king if it means residing in a castle of one? Experiences One of my Twitter friends, FedSpeak, once said, The purpose of life is to experience things for which you will later experience nostalgia. I tend to agree. Life is one 90-year experience defined by a variety of other smaller experiences throughout. We are fortunate to live in an era where experiences are more accessible than ever before. You can travel anywhere in the world in under 24 hours for $1,000 or less. You can learn anything, from foreign languages to exotic recipes on the internet. For the first time in history, we can quite literally do anything. Meet anyone. As one of the first generations that doesn't have to spend every waking moment simply fighting for survival, we can form deep relationships, pursue a higher calling, and straight up have fun every once in a while. Out of the 100 billion humans who have walked this earth, we won the timeline lottery. What better way to spend your money, use your time, leverage your knowledge, take advantage of your good health, and maximize your relationships than doing cool stuff with those you care about? At the end of the day, our experiences are all we have. Experiences are more opportunities to cash in on our other forms of wealth for something memorable. Some experiences cost money but the most valuable experiences aren't defined by their price tags. I don't remember how much it cost me to visit Norway, but seeing the Northern Lights, priceless. A night spent with cold beer, loud music, a hot fire and good friends is priceless. Engaging with Argentinians in their native tongue is priceless. Taking a road trip across the Western US with my best friend was priceless, except for the Polaris RZR I wrecked in the desert, which was $1,200. Of all the trade-offs one can make, exchanging financial wealth for experiential wealth is one that you'll never regret. But missing out on experiences because you are too busy with work? Rarely worth it. Money is an infinite resource, but experiences, like time, are finite. 
How many opportunities do you have to grab dinner with your grandparents? Take a ski trip with your best friends? Visit a new country on a whim? Learn a new skill that always interested you? Money is best used to fund the experiences that you desire. The fun stuff. The stuff that sets your soul on fire. Imagine spending 40 years minimizing a higher form of wealth, experiences, to maximize a lower form of wealth, money, before spending your twilight years vainly trying to recapture the experiences that you missed. The goal is a life rich in experiences and sufficient in finances. At the end of your life, would like rather look back fondly on fun times with those you care about, or will you be satisfied that you didn't waste your time and money on such trivial pursuits? Can't take it with you. Jack. And that's the end of Jack's letter. My takeaways as I read that letter. Uh, number one, right from the get-go, Jack provides what the Merriam-Webster Dictionary says as the meaning of wealth. We must think alike because if you read my letter that I wrote to my daughters, linked here, you'll see that I provided what the Cambridge Dictionary defined as wealth. Both dictionaries define wealth similarly in that it's an abundance of resources. But as Jack pointed out, wealth does not have a monopoly on money alone. Rather, the key is finding the correct balance of resources, i.e. the six types of wealth Jack lays out. I also liked how Jack stated that, quote, when wealth is measured in increments of time, the young are richer than anyone else. If you read the sixth edition of the wealth letters linked here, you'll see that billionaire Felix Dennis wholeheartedly agrees with Jack when he wrote, quote, if you are young, you are infinitely richer than I ever can be. Money is never owned. It is only in your custody for a while. Time is always running on, and the young have more of it in their pocket than the richest man or woman alive, end quote. And then finally, Jack pretty much just cuts to the nitty gritty when he says, quote, Every other form of wealth is irrelevant if you have a scarcity of relationships. I mean, at the end of the day, we were created to be social, to build community, and to help better those around us. I mean, yes, we must have money and resources in order to focus on our relationships most effectively, but it's important to understand that our relationships are not and should not be dependent on money and resources. Those are my takeaways. What are yours? I'd love to hear what stuck out to you. Feel free to comment and share your thoughts. Uh, if you liked what Jack wrote or you'd like to connect with him, uh, you can see how you can get in touch with him here. He has a blog and newsletter. Um, he also is active on Twitter as well as LinkedIn. And you can also see his email address right here. Thanks for your support. Would you consider sharing this project with someone you feel could benefit? Your ideas and feedback are always welcome and would love to hear your lessons or your story or maybe someone else's that, that you would like to share. You can reach out by email or you can comment on this post.